And while we have a through line that states authorial intent means dick. Right. I don't want to have to have the same haircut you have, Dad. Sorry, forgive me. Harriet motherfucking tub. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be crawling to something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. JK, crawling to something else. So was was this before or after the poster and you vomiting all over the couch? <laughs> For those of you that can't see, Ed's eyes just crossed. That is fucked up. <laughs> but it's not wrong. It is uh, Devil's Night, October 30th, and so tomorrow I'm going to be having a modified Halloween with my little boy. Uh, he's dressing up as Gecko from the uh, PJ Masks. Yep. He has insisted that Mommy has to dress up in red and Daddy has to dress up in blue. Mm-hmm. So Catboy and Alex. Obviously, and yeah, Daddy will be Catboy. And uh, we, he doesn't know this, but we're going to be taking him on a walk uh, through a neighborhood we're fairly certain is going to be pretty heavily decorated for Halloween. And instead of going up to doors to get candy, when we get to a house, we're going to stop and we're going to give him some uh, uh, bunnies, chocolate bunnies, crackers. So nice. that's our modification to give him the opportunity to get out in his costume, which he's been like, like insanely excited about I'm gonna be green for Halloween nice um, so yeah and, and so that's that's how we're gonna enable that for him um, you do what you gotta do as a parent during a plague so how about you sir well I'm Damien Harmony I'm a full-time Latin teacher up here in Northern California teaching uh, into the void uh, and I <laughs> <laughs> I am also modifying Halloween. Actually, you know what? Make make sure that you please take a picture and send me pictures of him as a gecko. My son loves the PJ Masks still. Last year, he was Catboy, and his cousins were Owlette and Gecko. That so, is fucking brilliant. Yes. So this year, he'll be Luke from Tatooine Luke, and Julia will nice. be... Uh, my daughter will be uh, Ray from Jakku Ray. So a lot of beige. Very cool. A lot uh-huh. of beige. A lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of light colors. Yep. And I will be the dungeon master from the D&D cartoon. Okay. Speaking of, you need to give me pictures. Sure. Sure. I, I need I need to see the skull cap. Oh, yeah. The, the, oh, yeah. The half fringe wig. More than happy uh, to. With that. Because yep. damn. Yep. All right. So, uh, but we actually, uh, before we started recording our podcast tonight, I... Uh, spent about an hour making a scavenger hunt, an in-home scavenger hunt. And there's different stations yeah. that, and, and they have poem clues that they have to go and look for stuff on. And and there's candy at some of them. And and then eventually they will find their, uh, their buckets already filled with candy. So that's how we're doing nice. it this year. Yeah. 
Very cool. Which, of course, means that you're actually going to have a supply of candy that you can surreptitiously siphon off of. Yes. For the next month as parent tax. Well, as 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 filler. This is the way. As filler for their buckets to make them look bigger, I used last year's rejected Halloween candies that they never got around to. (laughs) Okay, so wait. Yep, because because this 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 now brings up a really critically important set of questions. Uh huh. What all got rejected from last year's candy? What what do your kids consider the also rans? Uh, mostly like jelly based candies, so gummy type okay. stuff. So dots. Yeah, stuff like that. Okay. So okay. bags of things that people would buy, like bags of Swedish fish. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, nature's nature's harvest bars. Granola bars. Who the fuck, who the fuck does that? For I'm Halloween? just grateful it's not boxes of raisins, you know. Yeah. Okay. Good point. All yeah. Right. Now and now, <laughs> I say that knowing full well that when I lived as a roommate to producer George, we handed out little box sample boxes uh, that were given to us by his wife Stacy, whom you've heard on the Status Out podcast. Um, his wife brought home from her work, because she worked at a doctor's office, uh, a bunch of samples of Lever 2000 soap, tiny boxes. And we handed those out for Halloween. Now, my favorite part... I didn't realize you were fucking chaotic evil. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part... No, I, I didn't do raisins, so I'm neutral evil. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, but I. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, but so, the, the best part about this is that the, they were little silver boxes. So they kind of looked like they were candy. And I picture a kid opening it up and eating and then swearing, but the problem already solved itself. I had to think about that for half a second, but you're totally correct. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And yeah. like I palmed it, like I did like this. I'm showing you. I did it like this when yeah. I put it in there so they didn't see who they did it. No. Oh god. Did it to them. We had so much fun. Yeah. That's Someday, awesome. next time next time we have producer George on, you need to ask him about our uh round mouse uh, mouse pads. It's a wonderful okay. story. Yeah. Okay. So, but in the meantime, <laughs> when last we left uh, off, uh, we had just finished discussing the 1966 movie of Batman. When last we left, our intrepid heroes. Which means we only have eight movies to go. Fuck me. All right. <laughs> so, which brings us to the 1989 Batman. Now, this okay. was a big deal. This was huge. Oh. Well, okay, this this was the point at which Bob Kane mm-hmm. um, really, I, I think, for, for Bob Kane, and I think by this time, unfortunately, Bill Finger was dead, mm-hmm. um, which is tragic on, on any number of levels, because um, everybody listening to this has already heard me uh, bemoan how, how Bill Finger got, got you know, screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, for Bob Kane, who is the other creator of Batman, mm-hmm. this, uh, I mean, in all the interviews 
that I've seen of him and of uh, uh, Stan Lee mm-hmm. uh, kind of kind of surrounding this. This was really the moment where Bob Kane really, I think, absorbed the understanding of how big his creation really had become. Yes. Um, he showed up to the premiere in a in a suit with a with a with a cape really? to match Batman's cape. Oh wow. yeah, I know. There's, there's pictures of him doing it. Okay. And he he ate up all of the media attention. And um, it was in 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 an interview about about Bill Finger. I mean, in in a film about Bill Finger, uh, this movie comes up. Uh, in in an interview with Stan Lee, talking because Stan Lee and Bob Kane were really good friends. They were they were very very close friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Stan Lee uh, rode to the movie premiere. Stan and his wife and Bob Kane and his wife went to the movie premiere of the '89 Batman movie. Oh wow! Together, and Bob Kane apparently. For those of us you know living through the era of the MCU, this is really funny. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, Bob Kane apparently leaned across across in the limo and, and patted Stan on the knee and said, you know, who knows, man, someday maybe Spider-Man will make it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, boy. And and of course, you know, thankfully, you know, Stanley lived long enough to laugh as he told that story. Sure. To, to the interviewers about, well, you know, now let's take a look at the MCU compared to whatever the fuck DC is trying to put out. Right. You know, sorry, uh, my my partisanship is showing there. Um, but yeah, no, this 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 really was the moment where, even though Bob Kane had basically made a living off of mm-hmm. Batman mm-hmm. for almost thirty years by by the, I mean for forever mm-hmm. by that time, I'm thinking since the TV series, but like you know forever today. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, this was the point at which he really felt like he had been recognized by the big time gotcha if that makes sense no it does it does it's just a so damn no, shame this, that was, he left out bill finger well yeah yeah i so. you know i, I yeah um you know there, there are lots of people who who want to uh get on stanley vilify stanley for doing the same the thing to jack kirby doing the same thing for jack kirby and and my argument in this regard is, you know, you can you can have an opinion about Lee and Kirby, mm-hmm. but what 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 happened to Bill Finger? What what Kane did to Finger? I think is easily even, twenty times worse. Yeah, easily yeah. like you know, because because uh, you know uh, Kirby managed. You know, Kirby went on to do. I mean, like he's he went over to fig- DC for a while. He went over to DC for a while. He, he he bounced back and forth between Marvel and DC over the course of his career, mm-hmm. and he he is recognized as a legend. He is. He's you not know. the face of the company like Stan Lee was, but, but he but, is recognized as having done the horse's share of the plow. Yeah, and, yeah. and if you if you mention his name in a room full of comic book geeks, everybody's going to be like, "Oh yeah, well, yeah, duh." Yeah. If you went to a room full of comic book geeks and mentioned Bill Finger, there's going to be a percentage of the crowd is going to look at you like, who? Who? Yeah. And then there's going to be a percentage of like, that poor guy. 
man. I, I put, yeah. And then there's going to be a percentage, and that percentage is me who's going to be reaching for a broadsword going, where the fuck is Bob Kane? <laughs> Son of a bitch must pay. So, you know, but anyway, moving on, talking about the 89 movie. Yeah, I so. hijacked it. But no, ahead. it's fine. It's fine. I just, I think it's funny that you... Uh, acted the most like a Batman villain just now, threatening to sword Kane. Nice. Thank you. You know what? I ain't even mad about that. No, I had my finger on the pulse on that one. I really did. Oh, oh man. You got to curb your enthusiasm there. It's uh, it's on the leeward side of things. So. Okay, good day. Thank good you. Good day, Thank sir. You. I good appreciate day. that. All right, so it's 1989. It's Batman. There are billboards with just the emblem up, right? The marketing campaign for this is <laughs> fucking brilliant and simple and elegant. Um, I live everywhere. in I I lived in Florida, um, because I talked about this last time with the movie that had come, you know. Um, yeah. So we went to see it in the theaters in Gainesville, nearest Holy big town. Shit. Okay, yeah. Wait. Yeah. Now, if I remember right, you you were well, it's eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I just hold on. I'm trying to do the geography here in my head. Oh, gotcha. So you you were near Milton, right? Is no that part of the state is Milton. Uh, Milton, I don't know. We were near. You might have heard of Chiefland or Williston. How about okay? How far were you from Pensacola? Two hours. Oh, shit. Okay, you're in a different part of the state. Yeah, no, we're in north-central Florida. We were the seat of Levy County. Yeah. Got it, got it. So we went to, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking Panhandle. Ocala? Did you ever hear of Ocala? Yes. Okay, about 40 miles north-ish of Ocala, I believe. Okay, so so you drove to Gainesville. Drove to Gainesville. The main main point is you drove all the way to, you went went all the way into town. Yep. And uh, so, okay, I... For some reason, I was tasked with the task of getting the sodas. Now, a family of four, you get two large sodas, you share. That's how it works. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Uh, parents had already gotten the uh, the, Pop- the popcorn. Um, so, I mean, big day out, right? Yeah, so, oh, yeah. Huge when day. you go down the aisle, you're walking down the aisle, you normally keep your ass to everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the States. Anyway. Yeah. Apparently in Europe, it's a different thing. Oh, okay. Well, so I was thinking in in 11-year-old logic, um, well, I can't see where my feet are going to be, so I'm going to go crotch to everyone, ass to the screen. That was before the movie started, okay? Before the movie started. Yeah. So I'm walking down. I got these two giant, for my, you know, 11-year-old hands, giant fucking cups. Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm walking... And I got big feet. At 11 years old, my foot size had grown four sizes in three months. So Holy I'm a puppy. Cow. I don't know how to make this shit work. So I'm walking. You have no coordination. None. So I'm walking okay. down the aisle and trying to sidestep, trying to sidestep. People are polite. They're pulling back. And I trip over my dad's first foot as I'm stepping with my... So then my knee goes straight down. And luckily, Dad is a spreader because my knee <laughs> it hit right in the space where someone's balls would have been, but for the fact that he was a spreader. But he reacted as though I jonesed him. So my knee goes slamming into his seat. And then I've got these two giant cups. <laughs> 
and they come and out. And he of, was wishing he was wearing a cup. Well, yeah, but so I missed him, but he's reacting. And meanwhile, I don't have hands to brace myself. And so the cups are coming out of my hands this way as though I'm like a, a, a super villain with shocking abilities. And so I'm holding these cups and they're now parallel to the ground and going forward. There's a couple behind us, a very well-dressed black couple behind us, dressed up to go to the movies because it's Gainesville. And that's what you did in Gainesville is you dress nice. And they're probably in their mid-30s. And the look on their face and the position that they struck, they both had very defensive positions of, oh, God, and you hear them scream as I've got these two giant cups of Sprite and they're just going and the lids hold. So the whole I world... don't understand how you're an atheist. <laughs> That was a miracle, you heathen. You need to recognize that there was divine intervention right there. Now, mind you, it didn't intervene. He, he, capital H, he didn't intervene on your behalf. He intervened on behalf of the couple behind your dad. And my dad's balls. Well, okay. so, So they're frozen expecting to be dripping, and now they're not. So I sheepishly sit down and my mom's like, why were you walking that way? And I couldn't explain it. And it was so funny to me even then because the look of terror on their faces. (laughs) And I almost chone shot at my dad. And, And it's just this combination of things in three short seconds before the Batman film. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> just, I, got, I got nothing but wow. Like, so, but, so by, by comparison, uh-huh. my, my own, my own memory is, is vivid, but much less dramatic. Um, I'll just point out wow. as of the release of this, it's a good, it's a 50, 50 shot that I'm already 43 by this point. I'm still yeah. moved to almost tears of a story that happened. <laughs> How could you not be? When I was 11, 31 so, years so, ago. Okay. 32 years it ago. Happened, it happened when you were 11, so the level of humor you're going to approach it with is always going to be 12. Maybe. But, but like, it just, just but, but it, like, it's so beautiful because of their expression and the frozen and the kind of looking around like something should have happened. And thank God it didn't. But just the the shouts that they had, and the fact that I didn't end up drenching this couple of Sprite, who just wanted to go see a movie. That's crazy white kid who's walking the wrong way down the goddamn aisle. Goddamn aisle. Just but you, were only, you were only walking the wrong way down the aisle to an American audience. Yeah, okay. There was, there was actually it was, it was a really funny story I read somewhere years ago uh, about about somebody going to a movie theater in Europe with a group of their European friends. Sure. And 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 moving their way down the aisle, <clears throat> and as they were 
moving their way down the aisle, not facing the people that they were moving past. You know, with their butt facing toward people. Sure. Everybody started snickering at them. Okay. Because, because you know, you don't do you're, that here. You're, you're you're sticking your ass at us, right? Like, why, why are you doing that, man? Like, what what is that about? Sure. You know, and and to us, of course, you know, uh, you know, facing somebody like that uh, means you know your crotch is at knee level for them, right? And so, because we're all descended culturally from the Puritans, that's not acceptable, right? So, but yeah. <sighs> Okay, yeah. so your memory of, of going my, to see my, the movie. My memory is, um, and of course, friend of the show, Bishop O'Connell, mm. is going to remember this, because he and I went went to this movie together. Oh, this, neat. This like, oh, dude, okay, no, look, we, like, there, there was never any question. <laughs> like, when we heard that the movie was coming out, we mm. just knew that we were going to go see this movie. Like, and there was, and there was no way one of us was going to go without the other one. Nice. And and we were fourteen at this point, so this was one of those first movies where it was like we were old enough that our folks were like, right. "All right, yeah, you can go to the movie." You know, obviously we couldn't drive, but you know, we we met up mm-hmm. outside the theater. <sighs> I'm trying to remember. Let's see. So this would have been '89. I think we would have seen this at the Edwards Cinemas in Mira Mesa. And, okay. and you know... Bishop, Home field uh, advantage. Yeah, when, when you listen to this, remind me, because I'm pretty sure we saw it at the Edwards Cinemas in, in Mira Mesa. And at that time, this, this shows you how long ago this was, it was the Edwards Five. Okay. <laughs> so there were, there were, there were five. a grand total of five theaters. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was a year or two after that that the seven opened up. It was another Edwards Theater, but it was the seven. How many and theaters was, did they have? Like a huge big deal. Seven. Oh. Well. They had, you know, the number was, anyway, I, I don't know if it's San Diego thing or whatever. But anyway, so, so they, they, uh, anyway, we, we we met up at the theater, and I remember, and I, I don't remember very many details, but I remember going to see it with him. I remember we we sat down, and I remember the movie was remarkably dark. Oh, I'm gonna get to that. And and we were both completely fucking blown away yeah it was redarkable it was yeah and 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 it was it was a complete departure mm-hmm. from from like everything yes and and we both left the theater fanboying so fucking hard mm-hmm. like <laughs> because it was in its in its response it was iconic yeah, oh yeah. It, that and that was I think that was a brilliant move on on oh, Burton's yeah. part. So this is the Tim Burton Batman. This is the first serious Batman. This is the Batman with all the gadgets Batman. Um the rights Where does he get those, those wonderful, wonderful toys? Wonderful toys. Like Jack fucking Nicholson as the Joker. Oh, he's chewing scenery like crazy. Yeah. Holy cow. So the rights to this movie had been bought 10 years prior. 
and they kept renewing the rights. Uh, and interestingly, a little more than 10 years, but interestingly, no studio wanted to touch it because they figured Batman was a dead brand. Even though Superman was a successful movie, Batman was still a no-no to the studios. So there's this guy named Michael Uslan, uh, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, I'm sorry. Uh, he partnered up with a fellow named Benjamin Melnicker who had been an MGM executive, and in 1979, they bought the rights from the head of DC, a guy named Sol Harrison. Meanwhile, Warner Communications had acquired DC, and they were none too pleased to own DC. That was part of a, a, a takeover, and they're like, oh, fuck, now we're stuck with this. And they thought that only Superman could make the money. So no well, studio wanted to make this. Okay, so so let's back up, though. Okay. Let's let's talk for a second about Superman. Yeah, sure. Because the first Superman movie was seventy nine. Seventy nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or seventy seven. I forget. I know Rocky was seventy six. Okay. I yeah. I want to say that Superman was after Star Wars, so I want to say seventy nine. Mm-hmm. So so seventy eight. Superman split the difference. Okay, split. Yeah. Okay. So so seventy eight was the first. Was the first Superman movie. Yes. And Superman was a response to what life was in the 70s, which we have established over the course of two seasons now of this podcast. The 70s sucked ass. Yeah, it was shitty. It just, just was, yeah. it was, it was, it was the worst decade, like fucking ever. Yes. Uh, These up, are facts. Up up to the twenty teens. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say <laughs> up until up until the late twenty teens. Yeah. Um, and and so it was just it was just a shit fest, and Superman showed up. Well, before before Superman, Star Wars showed up and was this kind of you know optimistic resistance movie, mm-hmm. and then Superman showed up and was no shit. The big blue Boy Scout, hopeful, positive, yay, but you know, also Kal-El. sexy. The sexual tension in that movie absolutely carried it. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. Because just that, right. that, you know, what color underwear am I wearing? And just the way yeah. that he kind of loped and moved, it was okay. sensual. He kept, kept, Christopher Reeve caught the sensuality of Superman. Oh, okay, all right. That was yeah. just one, one of the aspects of his genius. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I get that. Mm-hmm. I see that. Mm-hmm. But but I think it's interesting that we're now talking about the two biggest properties associated with DC. Yes. And one of them had proven itself as being a moneymaker, and somehow everybody else was convinced that the other one couldn't be one. Yes. And so now let's talk about what's going on in 89. Oh, we will. Okay. Yeah. Right. So so I'll, I'll, I'll back off then. Sure, but sure. I just but, wanna, I need, well, I mean, I just throw, I think, I think when when you mention Superman, I feel like mm-hmm. like we need we need to throw something out about the dichotomy between the two characters there. Yeah. And then I got into think, and then in my own head, I'm thinking, okay, mm-hmm. well, there's also a decade between them. There is, which is an important note, and it's a very important decade too in terms of people expressing darkness instead of expressing hope. Okay. You know. Uh, and I think okay. that's that's yeah. the pulse yeah, yeah, right. that it's drawing on. Now, uh, and when we get into <clears throat> the the character, 
we'll 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 get into the zeitgeist. So, okay. uh, yep. but but production-wise, no studio wanted to make a dark Batman, and Uslan and Melnicker specifically wanted to make a dark bat- Batman. Everyone could only think of Batman as the campy, colorful series that we saw in the '60s, and it was there in in uh, what do we call it? syndication. Uslan and Melnicker oh. didn't want to make that. Um. And there were plenty of other scripts. There were other directors who looked at it, and none of them worked out for Melnicker and Uslan. So for from 79, give or take, through 80-something, to through the late 80s, they were shopping it around and constantly being told, no, thank you. No and, kidding. It's yeah. that much time in development hell. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I astounding. I had never known that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how close to it never being made it was. But The Dark Knight Returns, combined with Batman the Killing Joke, awakened uh, interest. Uh, 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 yes. So again, you have this interplay yeah. between the screen and the page. And this brings in Tim Burton specifically, because he read Killing Joke, and he loved it. And he Why lo- does that not surprise me <laughs> at all? Well, here's everything I know about Burton. Here's like, the thing that you'll find interesting, though. He'd figured out how to read a comic book as it was intended by reading Killing Joke. He blames his dyslexia. Um, and he said it was the first comic that he truly understood the narrative structure of. Really? Yeah. Killing Joke somehow made sense to him. Now, we can get into the darkness of Tim Burton, but I think from a teacher's perspective, it's really interesting to look at how Killing Joke is framed and how it flows and how that helped the guy with dyslexia. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating. Yeah. Like and and now and now you've completely turned on like teacher mode in my brain and yep. I'm having trouble letting go of it, but like okay, I can see that. Yeah, oh, when you teach um, comic books, teach stuff like that. Like that's Well, yeah, yeah. no kidding. Okay. And 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 I want to okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we're going to get into this later, if we are, then shut up and we can move on. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the darkness of Tim Burton, I talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the quality of this particular darkness. Because the, the 89 Batman movie is mm-hmm. obviously, like, like undeniably, it's a response to uh, the, 60, the 68 film series. Yes. And it is like visually it is immensely dark it is but but it is still it is still it's it's tim burton dark it's not like christopher nolan dark it's it's a there's a campy <laughs> darkness to it yeah <laughs> like there, there's yes it is it, it lacks is grit it is incredibly yes there yeah. there is it is uh noble dark yeah you know there's there's grim dark there's noble bright yeah and and then you know and then you have grim bright and and this is like noble dark it yeah. is it is darkly toned but it is still three colored comics darkly toned and the hero is still very much a hero with a tragic backstory and yep. you know you know there's there's no there is no moral ambiguity in it no there's not but what there is uh-huh. is a very human aspect to Bruce Wayne in this now i would point out again though that it's not burton that makes this movie the dark movie that it is it's uslan and melnicker refusing to let go of the fact that they want it to be dark 
Burton okay. is of the same mindset, but it's these two guys that really push it. So this dynamic duo, yeah, uh, who own the rights, they finally end up See at Warner. Thank you. They finally end up at Warner Brothers again. And Warner had been very high on the commercial success of two comics that I just mentioned. And the box office success of Tim Burton because uh, of his work with Pee Wee Herman in Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. Okay, Beetlejuice I remembered. I had completely fucking forgotten about Pee Wee being a Tim Burton thing. Yep. And and now that I say and now that that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, how could you fucking forget yep. that that was Tim Burton? Oh yeah, like, come on. It's definitely got okay. his aesthetic. Yeah. So you have Beetlejuice, Pee Wee Herman, Burton's making money for them. So Warner Brothers is like, you know what? Batman has a chance if he does it. Now Tim Burton looks at all of it and he says, this movie, and here's where it really gets interesting. This movie is not about Batman. If they're going to be serious about it, it can't be about Batman. If it's going to be serious, it has to be about Bruce Wayne. Fair enough. And that's a huge departure and response to all the prior Batman movies that had come. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, in a in a massive way. And and now I want to I want to talk about Keaton. Oh, I'll get to him. Okay. Right, yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Then, Never mind. I'll, yeah. I'll shut up then. But so, but yeah, that that narrative take as no, this has to be about the traumatized little kid. Mm, it's not even about that though. That's not until you oh, get to Val really? Kilmer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. This is this is Keep way talking. different. So, okay. fans initially did what fans always do when it's a Batman. Oh, this guy can't direct it. Oh, this guy can't be in it. Warner attached Bob Kane to it as a creative consultant. Leaving out finger again. Well, yeah. Burton then doubled down. He said, okay, not only do I not care that people don't want me directing it, I'm going to find the most not obvious movie star to do Bruce Wayne. I want something dark, but with a lot of range. And he went back to Beetlejuice co-star, or his his Beetlejuice star, Michael Keaton. He said, "Uh, why don't you do that? Now, talking about Michael Keaton... You got to talk about the fact that he was a stand-up comic. You got to talk about the fact that he was always in zany TV shows or zany movies. Um, Or he was in um, Clean and Sober. And I want to come back around to Clean and Sober, actually. But he was in Mr. Mom and he was in all these movies in the 80s. So nobody took him seriously as a serious actor. Um, Gung-ho. Oh, that's right. He was in Gung-ho as well. Um, So... Keaton was in um, Beetlejuice, uh, but like you said, yeah, he'd been in Gung Ho as well. But he was in Beetlejuice, and that's what really sold Burton um, on on the idea that Keaton had range because the other thing that he had seen Keaton in, uh, I want to say Buster Keaton, um, <laughs> but uh, the the only the, the Michael, other thing that he'd Michael seen Keaton. Michael Keaton in was a movie called Clean and Sober, where he plays a guy who has a really bad night with a gal and she ends up ODing on his stash and then he goes into rehab to escape it and then he has to build his life back together. And that movie is an amazing movie and Keaton absolutely is tormented through the whole thing. And Burton said, that's the range I want. I've seen him be manic and crazy and I've seen him be tortured. He's the one. 
And that's the Bruce Wayne that I want, is one who is darkly tortured inside and still finds a way to push through. So Keaton, Michael Keaton, actually dove into the comics to understand the character better, and he specifically looked at The Dark Knight Rises. Really? Yeah. Or The Dark Knight Returns, you mean? Yeah, probably. Because The Dark Knight Rises is the (laughs) title of one of the Nolan films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then it's Returns. Returns. I apologize. So he... So, okay. Uh So wait. Uh Back up. So what you're telling me is the director of the movie... Mm Mm-hmm had the killing joke in the back of his head the whole time. Yes. And the lead actor mm-hmm. had the Dark Knight Returns in yes. his head the whole time. Yes. And they Holy fuck. Yeah. That's that's like that 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 I cannot begin to express exactly how perfect that is mm-hmm. in terms of what it is that they wound up creating. Well, and then you add to that the overlay of the fact that they both said this movie is about Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Mm-hmm. So their emphasis is on the reality and the humanity of Bruce Wayne, not the heroism of Batman. Yeah. So now fans, when they found out that Michael Keaton was going to be Batman, they sent over 50,000 protest letters to Warner Brothers. I I wasn't one of the ones who sent a protest letter, Mm -hmm. but when I first heard that it was going to be Michael Keaton, I was like, wait, him? (laughs) Sure. What? Which has been everybody's reaction for every single person since that. Like everybody's Here, always, okay. are you serious? Really, him? Okay, you know what? Here, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm mm-hmm. gonna quibble. Slightly. Okay, okay. Um, when when I heard Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. I didn't quibble. People did. Oh, I know people did. But, yeah, but I'm saying, you know, like I, I will admit to being part of the herd mentality with with Keaton. Mm-hmm. I will totally admit to being part of the herd mentality with, um, oh, damn it. George Clooney? George Clooney. Mm -hmm. I didn't quibble with Val Kilmer because I'd seen him do enough stuff that I was like, no, no, let's give the man a chance. And when I heard Christian Bale, Mm -hmm. I had to look up, wait, who's Christian Bale? And then after I looked him up, I was like, no, no, I think this is, I think this will work. I think this will be good. A lot of people didn't. Oh, I I know a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people didn't. And a lot of people were fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, personally, I think a lot of people were fucking wrong. Well, I would point out that every time, every iteration, people were wrong. I think each person brought something to it uh, with various limitations that were placed upon them. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And and most recently, even though mm-hmm. the film has come out, everybody's like Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Like you mean to tell me Edward fucking Cullen, the fucking glittery vampire, is gonna? There's no way he can fucking do that. And and I've actually been one of the people like anytime I've seen anybody saying that online, I have actively made a point of posting to tell them they are full of shit because they have no idea yet. Mm-hmm. Because we have this long and now storied history of everybody who takes on this role being shat on by the fandom. Oh, yeah. Until they do it. And then all of a sudden, it's like everybody goes, oh, yeah, no, he's awesome. I knew mm-hmm. he was going to kick ass. Like, no, you didn't. Like, oh, yeah. now we have receipts. It, you know, yeah. it's a funny thing about internet culture is, you know, back in 1989, everybody who doubted Keaton suddenly fucking disappeared. Right. You know, like completely like no, I never, I never, I never had any. No, he's awesome. He's oh great. yeah. 
And I'm like, no, no, man. I remember talking with you at lunchtime at school. You were like, oh, this is a fucking joke. This is going to be so shitty. Like, no, I remember. Now we have all of it in fucking writing. Yeah, well, yeah. But 50,000 people put it in writing, and they wrote it and mailed it. They mailed yeah, this, it. Okay. Sent yeah. it through the post to Warner Brothers saying, in a protest letter about an actor playing a comic book character. See, this is why I understand now how QAnon appeals to people. It's not because they're right. <laughs> it's because people are passionate about a very narrow view of things, and they get really angry if you challenge it in any way. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I can see that. So now, Jack Nicholson gets cast as the Joker. Plenty of other people were auditioned, by the way. Uh, However, Nicholson had been the choice for the role as early as 1980. No kidding, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And he worked out an incredibly good deal. He he said, I will give you back $4 million of my salary in exchange for a cut of the film's earnings and merchandise. Oh shit! Really? So, yeah. So for forty percent of his salary, I think he was getting ten million to do it. For forty percent of his salary, he ended up making, I want to say, about a hundred million dollars. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so let's get into all the right. cinematography of it. All right. So oh, the man. set design and the cinematography themselves was an outward expression of Bruce Wayne's torment. Everything looked like a send-up of the movie from the 1920s called Metropolis, but a worse version. It's like Picasso fucked with German Expressionism and fascist architecture. And by the way, that's a line that you'll only ever hear on this, this podcast. <laughs> if you find another podcast that uses that line just as authoritatively, <laughs> you go listen to that, you know? But yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I, 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 I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, it was deliberately was ugly. Thing. Well, it was not only, here's the deal, it was not mm-hmm. only deliberately ugly, mm-hmm. but it was cartoonishly gothic. And clashing in that gothicism, though. Like, the styles themselves clashed so hard together that it just felt more and more bleak, and they made it as bleak as they could. Okay, the yeah, per- visually. Yeah. Not, totally not wrong. What what strikes me, thinking about it right now, like if I imagine mm-hmm. the film... The image that I have in my head is Michael Keaton mm-hmm. in Wayne Manor, and everything around him is just slightly out of scale. It's just slightly too yep. monumental. Yes, and, and 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 it's all dark, dark blues and purples, mm-hmm. and then a lot he, of steam. He, a lot of steam. A lot well, of steam. City, there's all kind of steam. And then, and then the the image that I'm having, that 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 is that is showing up in my head right now, imagining the film. Mm-hmm. There are several different different pictures that jump out at me, but is is Michael Keaton not in the cowl, not as Batman, but as Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. turning and seeing the bat signal, and mm-hmm. he is he is illuminated in a very sharp kind of spotlight effect. Yep. And everything around him is in these is in these dark shades of, of blue, and there's this very cold light on him staring upward and out the window. And and it's this incredible like like whoever was responsible for the set design 
and the lighting deserved an Oscar. Like speaking of which, that's Anton yeah. First, the production designer. Okay. And he said, How quote, did I know you're gonna know that. <laughs> well, even a quote from him. He says, We imagined what New York might have become without a planning commission. A city run by crime with a riot of architectural styles, an essay in ugliness, as if hell erupted through the pavement and kept on going. And that's wow. that's Bruce, Main, Bruce Wayne's torment, too. Because you think about steam yeah. coming up from everything and bursting out from everything. There is a seethingness. There is an energy that is frenetic and yet out of control, and it's, por- it's bursting through the pores. It is not under control. Neither is his torment. I'm going to need to go back and rewatch this movie at some point just mm-hmm. because now there's all this fucking symbolism that was subconsciously there that I didn't oh, yeah. like, spot. Okay. Well, and Keep then going. you look at his suit. Now, that's as dark as it could possibly get. You just have that little yellow thing in the front. Um, oh, and everything else is jet fucking black. Mm-hmm. And now part of that is because Keaton is not a six foot four ubermensch. Um, he is average height, so it hides that. Yeah. Um, it also... It also sets off really nicely against the Joker's chalk white makeup. Um, it also <laughs> had the advantage and added bonus of being really uncomfortable and claustrophobic. Advantage, do you say? I do, because Burton said that it put Keaton in a darker mood overall, which really helped. Okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And and so now I need to segue for a moment. Yeah. Uh so when when I was in college, mm-hmm. um, I I wound up working with a group of people. Sure. Um, I, I was a, a lab tech mm-hmm. at, a, at a computer lab for University of California Davis, mm-hmm. and um, I, I wound up joining a crew of people who had been working together for for a while. Uh, one of them is you know my best buddy, and so one year. Uh, I want to say it was my sophomore year. All of these guys who were a year ahead of me decided they were going to do Halloween costumes in a theme. And their theme was going to be Batman. Okay. And they kind of all decided amongst themselves what they were all going to do. My my buddy uh, wound up doing a really remarkable Two-Face costume. But that's kind of beside the point I'm trying to get to, which is that uh, one of them uh, was Batman. And he did the Burton Batman with the black rubber-looking suit with the cowl and all of Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, he was, if I'm remembering right, Chinese, Asian guy, Mm -hmm. who weightlifted in his spare time. And he was a little above average height, but he was also swole as mm-hmm. hell. Sure. And seeing him, and, and I remember, I, I didn't know who any of these people were. This was, this was the year that my best friend and I connected because mm-hmm. um, we were in Spanish class together. But seeing seeing the other the other people in his circle mm-hmm. and seeing this this individual in this in this costume, um. It's really remarkable the way that that specific Batman costume mm-hmm. creates a very specific character for Batman. Yes. 
like that was a massive the word that comes to mind is departure but i don't know if that's the, the word i'm looking for but like you know the the comic book batman in the 70s had gone to you know a gray costume with the blue cowl right and and the yellow and the yellow uh oval right basil is the word i'm looking for in their chest uh, with the bat logo and that was no no we're gonna take that and we're gonna dial it all the way down to zero mm-hmm. like there is no color the only reflection you're getting is from the utility belt yeah and the and the and the bat logo and the rest of it you're just getting sheen yes from the from the very clearly some kind of plastic rubber armor looking Mm-hmm. You know, outfit. Oh, and they say that in the first couple of minutes when Batman yeah. gets shot by the guys on the rooftop, and like he's like, "Wait a minute, some kind of body armor." And then he kicks the shit out of them. Yeah, just beats yeah. the daylights out of them. Yeah, and and that was, and and then taking taking that idea, mm-hmm. and then going back to me at fourteen, watching that movie with you know my then best friend, you know, sitting next to me. Uh, you know, brother from another mother, you know, the two of us sitting there, both of us like literally making whoa noises. I mean, sounding like Bill and Ted, not mm-hmm. even kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, like unironically, just completely fucking blown out of our minds. Oh, yeah. By this, you know, amazing departure from everything we were used to. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it, it, like you say, it was itself iconic. Yeah, in its in its departure. Yes. So Keaton, uh, he approached this idea of Bruce Wayne as being a man who maintains dual identity, and in so doing, he really looked at the logic of it. And so he said, you know, honestly, it'd probably be really easy to figure out that Bruce Wayne was Batman, same height, uh, same voice. And so on. So what he did was he made Batman speak with a lower register than than Bruce Wayne, which is something that goes on forever after that. He set forever. a standard there, and becomes and becomes most noticeable mm-hmm. with uh, in the Nolan films. Yes. Now Christian Bale. The themes of this particular one are pretty simple. You have two men who are essentially freaks. Um, one revels in it, the other tries really hard to harness and control it. Joker's face is actually out there in the open. His scars are on the outside, causing his insanity. He is chaos incarnate because of what's happened to his appearance. His schemes are all appearance-based. Batman covers his face, mostly wears monochrome, and is the secret life of the real man. His scars are internal, and he struggles to keep them in. And the movie is really about the depression of Bruce Wayne. He doesn't do anything normal. He literally says that to Vicky. He then meets Vicky Vale, and then he says that to her at one point, uh, who wants to bring him out into the light. And he's deeply conflicted and an emotionally bereft man. He can fight, he can chemist, he can detective, but he cannot express himself in a normal, healthy way. And this is where Sadomaso's schizo in a rubber suit comes from. Yes. Whereas Joker is, I'm externalizing all of my pain, which happened to just be appearance-based, 
but I'm going to externalize it and make everyone feel it. Keaton said during the filming, quote, it was a lonely time for me, which is great for the character, I suppose. And it's because (laughs) he was having marital difficulties and he had a small child. And he didn't sleep well at all during the filming because it was in London and he was always trying to fly back to see his kid uh, as often as he could. I think it was in Denver at the time. Um, Now, there's two scenes in this movie that really, really defined Keaton's Batman for me. The first one is they're having dinner with each other. Um, in you know, how's the soup? Excuse me. Oh, yeah, soup. Yeah. How is it? Yeah. Could you pass the salt? You know that scene. That's, that's a great, such yeah. a good scene. Here's the thing: if you ever watched Citizen Kane, okay, this scene while, is but... is is the opposite of that montage. In Citizen Kane, they start off so close together and cuddling and loving, and pretty soon they're further and further apart as their marriage is dissolving, and he's really into his power. This scene, they start that far apart, and then he's like, you know, they realize how far away they are, and he's like, you know what? And he makes a choice, takes her into the kitchen, and then they're in his kitchen, uh, and and they're talking with Alfred about him as a child, and he's really starting to show a lot of joy. And she gets him to open up by praising Alfred. And that's what opens him up. And she physically got him to be closer to her because they're now sitting together in the kitchen. Um, and uh, they, they go upstairs and they've gone to bed and she's asleep and she's very happy. But he's let this ray of light in and it fucks with him so he can't sleep. Now that he's opened up, Bruce Wayne does not know what to do. And so what does he do? He goes and hangs upside down like a bat. Uh, right. Yeah. He has a sleeping problem due to his Batman schedule. Um, but he also has an intimacy problem due to seeing his parents killed. The okay. other scene that I think is iconic for, and notice this is a very Bruce Wayne centered movie. The other scene yeah. I think is so iconic is where he's trying really hard to open back up with Vicki Vale. He goes to her apartment and, uh, you know, and she's, you know, she he he asks if he can talk to her, and he just is struggling. This is before the Joker bursts in. He's yeah. struggling big time with this, and he ends up getting saved from getting to from having to uh, actually express his feelings because he's like, you know, when a man, you know, he does, he's he's the Joker it's, it's, bursting it's, it's, in. It actually saves him. The Joker's it rescues him from from the terrible like yes. That is that is such a brilliantly done. I know. Yes. I remember now what you're talking about. Uh-huh. That is such a brilliantly done scene. Yeah. And and uh, uh, Keaton is amazing in it. Oh my god. And he, and yeah. and the relief. What's what's really, what's fucked up about it is the Joker <laughs> bursts in, and there's this moment of like, oh thank God. Yes, because this oh, is not going well. Face. I've had to reset four <laughs> times. I've I've had to start over. Like, yeah. I can't even tell. You like times. he's withdrawn. <laughs> he's a withdrawn nerd who's getting it all wrong. He's paralyzed when he's trying to tell her about himself. Um, yeah. To the point of physically retreating, and and he's trying to tell her about his life. He tells her in the third person. He says, "My life is really complex." And then he restarts. He's like, "You know how a normal person gets up and goes downstairs and eats breakfast and and kisses somebody goodbye." And at that point, she's like, "Oh my God, you're married." He says, and goes to a job and you know, 
And he can't actually tell her that he's Batman until she gets up and goes to the door. Because then he's like, I'm Batman. And I'm his, Batman. And his, and his mouth, yeah, and his yeah. mouthing, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. So even I'm, then, he's yeah. only mouthing it. Like you said, he can't yeah. even verbalize can't that. Verbalize. And then, and then Nicholson bursts in. Yes. And all of a sudden, he can. Th- the The only comparison that comes to mind mm-hmm. in in that moment is all of a sudden he is. I want to say freed up, but I almost don't know if that's right. Mm-hmm. To 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 he he's allowed to fall back on the. Uh, Peter Parker as Spider-Man. You know what, Jack? You want to get nuts? Let's Come on, get nuts. let's get nuts. Yeah. Come on, let's get nuts. Because confrontation, and, he's comfortable with. Yeah. Expression, he's not. He's, he's totally out of his. He depth. needs a foil. Yeah. Now you wanted to talk about uh, the context of the time. Yes. In the late 1980s, unemployment was on the rise. Crime was yep. on the rise, homelessness was on the rise, and yep. suicide was on the rise. I hadn't known that last one. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Bruce Wayne Lovely. is depressed. <laughs> it makes sense now in retrospect, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's the centerpiece of the movie, I think, which is really interesting since in 1989, the hopelessness theory of depression was publicized. Explain. The hopelessness theory of depression states that depressive symptoms are most likely to occur when a vulnerable person experiences negative environmental circumstances. Both have to occur simultaneously, though. Uh, So uh, as this shows, uh, a lot of work in the 80s had been done specifically relating to depression and understanding it better. And therapy had become more mainstream acceptable. And there was a study done to analyze the American zeitgeist attitude towards children and teenagers with mental illness. So when people have depressive symptoms and the outside environment is going to hell in a handbasket, that leads to the hopelessness aspect. Okay. Okay. All right. And so people are, are really starting to hit the couch as far as therapy goes. You see a huge uptick in therapy, uh, which is really good. Um, but you know, it's, it's the 1980s. So, I mean, they're only 50 years away, you know, or, or yeah, 50 years away from like electro shock therapy, 30 years away from that. Um, you know, I was going to say not even, yeah, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest type shit, you know, in the seventies. So there's a lot of shift, but I mean, it's still in, again, living memory. So this idea of hopelessness really comes in. And so of course your Batman is reflective of that on some levels. He is depressive. Okay. Yeah. No. Every everything everything scans. Mm-hmm. Um. You know. Again, we get back to Sadomasochism gets a rubber suit. Yeah. Uh, you know, as characterized by my buddy and his friends yeah. in the movie they're making in high school, which would have been, you know, totally one hundred percent inspired by Keaton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I, I think, I think it's interesting that the idea of Batman being an embodiment of a kind of mental illness yes, is really profound. It's going to get a lot darker and sadder as we go through the movies, by the way. (laughs) Well, this doesn't go well. Yeah. No. Um, but but I, I think I think you know t- talking about the comics mm-hmm. prior to this there was never any uh, 
I mean, the, the, the Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. is really the first time we ever see anybody in the comics mm-hmm. really portray Batman as being unhealthy. Yeah. Like, within the comics, it had always been kind of a given that, well, you know, this is motivated by his trauma, but he is... Right. He is he is a sane figure. He is... He is doing this for reasons, and you know this. This is not motivated by a wounded inner child, right? You know, and then the movie, the the Burton movie comes along, and mm-hmm. Burton and and Keaton very clearly look at it and go, no, 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 no. This is not a healthy man. Well, and they have they have Robert Wall actually speaking for us in that too. He. Vicky Vale says, find out what happened on the corner of whatever and whatever. And he finds out that Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered there and Bruce Wayne saw it. And he says, and so, you know, cause he's, he leaves roses for his family, for his, for his parents there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, Robert Wall's character, uh, Knox, uh, says, yeah. man, what do you think that does to a kid? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, no, it's an amazing, it's an amazing line yeah. that's almost that that is thrown away. Yes, because he's trying to life. he's trying to in some ways discredit Bruce Wayne because he sees that Vicky Vale is attracted to him, or yeah. you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, so that's yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, and and so so the idea of of Batman mm-hmm. and and Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. as the as the individual behind the cowl mm-hmm. being unhealthy being broken yes um in this in this kind of fundamental way <clears throat> this is really this is like like the dark knight comics mm-hmm. gave us the first view that you know with, with alfred as the audience stand in kind of going no i'm sorry this is fucked up right no you can't do this and and really, all of a sudden, we're we're we as the reader are forced to go. You know what? He's kind of right. This is not this mm-hmm. is not cool. Mm-hmm. And then the eighty nine movie making it really clear that like no 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 this is the the language didn't exist then nobody, right nobody spoke this way about it then but like no no this is this is a really maladaptive coping mechanism yes for for massive trauma. Yeah, and it was, again, it wasn't so much focused on the trauma and its impact as it was that this guy is absolutely depressed. Like, like that is enough unto itself. He is a depressed individual. And what I found so interesting about this Batman, compared to all the comics that came before and compared to all the movies that came before, this one wasn't about Batman, like Alfred's no, yeah. reacting to Batman in in uh, the ones that you were talking about. This is about yeah. Bruce Wayne, and Batman is an offshoot of him. Yeah, you know very much. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. Yeah. yeah. So that's this, the. This is entirely focused on the internal psychology of mm-hmm. what drove Bruce Wayne to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and that is that is that is part and parcel, I think, with what I what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, because because that's that's the root of, you know, where where all of this comes from, mm-hmm. and and the idea that Bruce Wayne ain't right in the head, right, is is 
is a really big deal going forward. It is. From here. It is. And if if nothing else, him being conflicted is what ends up being kind of the shorthand later on. Yeah. Um, or wanting to give it up, you know, becomes the shorthand later on. But in this particular one, he's depressed. Now, that's the 89 Batman. And, I mean, you know, the story of me almost crotching my dad and spriting two people behind him probably ate up a good 10 minutes. Um, so I think it's probably good to hold over uh, the 92 version um, for the next episode. Um, uh, and it sounds like we talked about kind of what we gathered from this already, but I, I would point out that 1989 was a very depressing time. 1988, when the movie was being made, was a very depressing time in Keaton's life. It was a very depressing time in our country's life. Um, and, and I think that that might be why, um, a lot of that button was being pushed, um, you know, you have a lot of homelessness. You have a lot of vets from Vietnam um, really starting to be much more visible in the late 1980s. Um, you also have procedural TV shows in the late 1980s being less about the police getting it right and more about it's an unending onslaught of shit they have to deal with. Okay. So I think that um, in, in a large way, uh, well... Also, now that we're in the 80s, you also have Star Trek The Next Generation. And what do they have on their ship that the original Enterprise didn't have? A counselor, Deanna Troy. Yeah. An empath. Uh Literally a psychic. Yeah. Not just a counselor, but a psychic counselor. Um, And then you have a lot of plot revolving around her in the first two years about her ability to connect to people and feel their pain. Yes, this so. is true. And, and you know, this this also being the point at which uh, Bill Clinton is, is, you know, famous for, I feel your pain. Oh, that's not and, until 92. Really? That's, yeah. That's that he's, much later? He's running for president in 92. Um, 88 was Dukakis. Oh, shit. You're right. But okay, never mind. Clinton's I feel your pain will 100% <clears throat> tie into the 92 Batman. Okay. Yeah. So that's what will come up next. Hey, where can people find you on the social medias? They can find me on the social media at E.H. Blaylock on uh, the Twitter and on the uh, Instagram. Oh, well, I'm sorry. On the Instagram, I'm Mr. Blaylock. On TikTok, I'm E.H. Blaylock. Um, And I've established another account that's one that students can't get to. But I don't remember that address right now, so I'm going to have to wait to share that with everybody. Uh, also, I don't really have much of anything on there right now. Um, but yeah, and of course, they can reach both of us simultaneously on the Twitter machine at Geek History Time. Mm-hmm. Now, where can they find you when they want to quibble with you over, you know, Tim Burton's role within the Batman oeuvre? Ah, well, you can find me uh, in these streets. Bring it. No. Uh, <laughs> like I'm going to fight over a DC film. Come on. Uh, now, if you want to fight me over the role of the new warriors in Civil War, you, you, will, you will find the thunder having been brought. But um, no, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter and Insta. Um, and uh, <laughs> you all right there? As an English teacher, I just have to say that is the most torturous 
grammatical structure I've heard in a very long time in a sentence that is, in fact, entirely correct. Yeah. No, I used a perfect passive participle that, of the, about that, the thunder. That, that fucked with me. <laughs> I should note for our audience that I'm, I'm well past my second beer. Yeah. Right now in our in our recording session tonight, <laughs> so that might be part of the reason that, that I'm having that profound reaction to that. But yeah. anyway, go ahead. No, sure. So at Da Harmony on Twitter and Insta, um, you can also find me every Tuesday night on uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Capital Puns because I and my partners, uh, Mark Berg and Daniel Humbarger, do a little show we've been doing for over four years called Capital Punishment. Uh, so come check us out; it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is. It is. I, I will say, as, mm-hmm. as somebody not directly involved with that particular project of yours, uh, it is well worth checking out. It is a good time. Yeah, it um, is. If if you can if you can restrain your urge to punch the shit out of your computer monitor, uh, channel that into the chat room. Just type shit in. <laughs> Fuck with us. Type That's shit. great. Yeah. It's good because because the puns are frequently infuriating, but you yes. won't be able to stop yourself from laughing even yes. as you want to strangle everybody involved. All the more infuriating. I had a student yeah. tell me just today, um, I get angry sometimes when you pun, and I said, "Are you serious?" And they said, "No, but frustrated." I'm like, "Why do you get frustrated?" Because I get them. <laughs> And and that right there yeah. is the encapsulation of why it is that puns are in fact infuriating. <laughs> it's like it makes me so goddamn angry. Get that? Oh. And, it, and I can't stop myself from laughing. But fuck, <laughs> god damn it. So yeah. Well, there you when go. You hear me say, "Good day, sir." That's that's what's going that's, on in my brain. Yeah. So. You made me do that. <laughs> Well, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, let's dance in the pale moonlight.